Um, our scripture this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 1 through 21. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these, the camel, the hare, and the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat. And whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones that you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl and the tawny owl, the carrion vulture and the cormorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe and the bat. And all winged insects are unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. All clean-winged things you may eat. You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. This is the word of the Lord. So the statutes and the rules and the commandments that we are going to look at this morning starts with, you shall not cut yourself or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. The prohibition against this cutting of self or shaving the forehead for the dead were rooted in pagan customs, pagan tradition. There was something called the cult of the dead. And there were pagans who mourned for the dead, hoping to secure favorable influence from the dead. Go figure. Obviously, these were unacceptable abominable practices which Israel had to have no part in and it is clearly stated for them and what is said here to them is this this is how the Gentiles live Israel do not mimic them do not do not assimilate with them be distinct from them live as such 
as the children chosen by God, people holy to the Lord, by living for him, different than the world around them. Don't become like them. Don't take on their religious practices. Don't worship the way they do. Don't be influenced by their false ideas and false gods. Reject anything from them that will lead you away from devotion to God. Those were the two last week's messages, by the way. And this is no small matter, Israel. You are not to be like them in any way by living lives of faithful obedience to God. And so the rest of the chapter, I think you will agree, as you heard it maybe this morning, if you didn't know we were going to preach it, you go like, okay, what is he going to say about all these things to eat and not eat? It does look a little strange at first glance. God through Moses commands dietary restrictions by making a distinction between clean and unclean animals and what they could eat and what they could not eat, going as far as to say that the unclean animals, the unclean food was an abomination. An abomination is something that causes disgust or hatred. And this is the second time that we've seen these restrictions. These restrictions have already all been given in the book of Leviticus in chapter 11. And so here's a breakdown of what Israel may and may not eat. They may eat ox, sheep, goat, deer, gazelle, roebuck, wild goat, ibex, antelope, and mountain sheep. Good list. And then the rule according to verse 6 Here's where the rule comes in. Every animal that has a cloven or a split hoof and chews the cud, that was considered clean and they could eat them. And so just for those who are unfamiliar with what the chewing the cud is, some animals like cows would eat grass and not chew it very well, but swallow it into a part of their stomachs where bacteria will come and start digesting the grass That becomes the cud. Later, that animal, that cud will go back up into the mouth of the animal. They will chew it again and then swallow it again. Sounds gross, but that is, if, and this is the rule. It's a simple, it's like if you like computer coding, this is a simple rule that you'll love. It's the if then, if then rule. If the animal has a split hoof and they chew the cud, then you may eat them. But if they chew the cut and do not have the parted foot, then you may not eat them and they're considered unclean. Examples are the tasty camel, the flavorful hair, and the mouth-watering rock badger. And, and then the if-then rule works the other way. If it has the parted hoof, but it does not chew the cud, then you may not eat them because they are considered unclean. Pig, people, think pork chop, grilled to golden perfection. <laughs> think pulled pork, Caleb, imagine. <laughs> unclean. And then there's, wa- there, there's more. Water creatures. Fins and scales, that's all you needed to know. Fins and scales makes it clean. No fins, no scale, unclean. Endless shrimp scampi, giant king crab legs, lobster bisque. (laughs) 
abominable. <laughs> Red Lobster would be out of business in a day. But we're not done yet. Here comes the clean birds. You can eat the clean birds. But these are the ones you cannot eat. Oh, my goodness. All the vultures, all the ravens, the ostrich, oh, boy, nighthawks, all the owls, all the owls you can think of you cannot eat. Cormorants, storks, herons, hoopoe, and the bat. I have three comments about the bird list. I'm okay for it, with it for the most part. Ostrich steaks are to die for. If you've never had one, you have to eat one in your life. It must be on your bucket list. And the third comment, what is a bat doing on a bird list? <laughs> I mean, really, bats are mammals. All right, don't eat insects. We agree. This is going to be hard in China, but we agree. Of course, then you shall not eat anything, verse 21, that has died naturally. So a cow walks and falls and breaks their leg and they cannot eat and they die. You cannot eat it. But you can give it to someone you know, to like a sojourner. <laughs> Or better yet, you can sell it to somebody you don't know and they can eat it. And then Moses tops it off. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, I'm not sure about you, but if I was standing on the banks of the Jordan River, having been in the desert for years, ripe with expectation to go into the promised land, flowing with rock badger and ostrich, or milk and honey, pick your pick. If that was me, these commandments would have made no sense to me at all. God made all these animals, and why is he now choosing that some of them will be clean and others will be unclean? Why would God make such what feels like arbitrary, nonsensical rules to keep? So first, let's be clear about this, that the Old Testament never spells out reasons for all these animals and why some are clean and why some are not clean. Ultimately, It was God's sovereign choice, just like Israel was God's sovereign choice. And therefore, because the Bible does not say about that a lot, we will not engage in speculation about why you could not eat a tawny owl. But the answer to the question of why, why God brought this rule why Israel was to follow dietary laws is actually quite simple, friend. And it is found, the answer is found as the bookends of our chapter this morning. And so if you look at verse 2 and also at verse 21, the last part of 21, it says this, for you are a people holy To the Lord your God. God is saying through Moses, You are my people, Israel, distinct from the Gentile nations around you, and you must be exclusively committed to Yahweh. And that should be clear by how you live, it should also be clear even by what and how you eat. 
God's chosen people are to demonstrate their distinctiveness from the world through faith-filled obedience to God. Israel is holy to the Lord. Being holy means to be set apart. Israel was set apart for the Lord. So they were to live for him only, concentrate on pleasing him only, honor him only. And these dietary laws were to help Israel display their distinctiveness from the nations around them and show their devotion to the Almighty God. That's the reason. And we should be very careful, friends, not to see this chapter as as just a chapter full of eat this, don't eat this, I'm not even going to give you a reason, all these kinds of rules. This chapter This section that we read is is bursting with grace for Israel. Verse 1, not only were they holy to the Lord, they were what? Sons of the Lord your God. This is amazing grace to an obstinate people. Israel, you're not just my people, you are my sons. You are my daughters. It speaks of God's sovereign adoption of Israel. Why? Why did he adopt them? Because they were special? Nope. Because they because of their exemplary obedience to God? Nope. Because of their devotion to Yahweh? Nope. Why then? Why were they the sons of the Lord your God? Because of verse 2. The Lord has chosen you. To be a people, a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, the Lord chose you, Israel. Israel, God chose you. You were undeserving, but he chose you to set you apart for him. Therefore, you are now to live for him in faith-filled obedience, even in dietary laws, to display his glory to the nations around you. Israel was a people holy to the Lord because of God's affectionate grace, because of his electing grace, he elected them, and because of his saving, redeeming grace, Israel was God's sovereign choice and his treasured possession. Imagine that, to be able to say they were his treasured possession. And therefore, Israel were not to partake in these pagan rituals like mourning the dead or shaving their heads or cutting themselves. And they were not to eat the unclean foods. Why? Because they were holy. They were set apart because God loved them and he chose them as his treasured possession because he redeemed them out of Egypt. And he's saying, this is who you are. This is who you are, Israel. Now, demonstrate that. Demonstrate that uniqueness, that distinctiveness, your holiness, your chosenness, your, your, your separateness from the other nations. 
demonstrate that by faith-filled obedience to laws that make, may make no sense to you at all. So that when the Gentile nations look at you, look at your lives, look at your worship, look at your customs, look at your diet, that they will see that you belong to Yahweh, the true God. These dietary rules, as arbitrary as they might seem, were, were to display God's glory to the nations. And obeying them would honor the one whose treasured possession they were. This was not a call for blind obedience to a bunch of strange rules. This was their call for spiritual worship, a call to honor God, and a call to proclaim the glorious name of Yahweh to the nations around them. That's the simple answer. That is why they were to obey these dietary rules. And so the, the question is, how does this relate to us? We're going to take a poll. I wish we had some of those, you know, those clickers that you can make a poll and then you display who said what. Are these dietary laws applicable to Christians today? Should we obey these commandments in Deuteronomy 14 and not eat lobster, calamari, or ostrich? No. These rules are not applicable to us anymore. And, and if we ask why, because, church, of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, because of the gospel, because we no, lo no longer live under the old covenant, but we live under what Hebrews called a better covenant. The new covenant established and inaugurated by Christ through the shedding of his blood it's a better covenant church and here's the thing the only way this is why this is this is a better covenant that we are under the only way for israel to attain have attained righteousness before god right standing before god not being guilty before god under the old covenant. The only way to attain that was by perfect obedience to the entire law. That's a hard sell. James 2 and verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Perfect obedience. Perfect obedience was the only way that a person who lived under the, the first law, the first commandment, could ever attain any form of righteousness. And, it, and, and, and here's the thing. It, 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 it was not supposed to only be obedience, but it was supposed to be faith-filled obedience. Romans 9 and verse 31 says this, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. And so Israel had to follow all those laws 
They didn't have to just follow the laws. They had to still have faith in God at the same time while they were following those laws. Here's the question. Was Israel able to obey all the commandments and the statutes given to them in the Mosaic law? Nope. They never could. They never could, which really was one of the purposes of the law. Because one of the purposes of the law was to reveal to them their sinful nature, the depravity of man, and their need for a redeemer. That was the purpose of the law. The law was given so that Israel could see their sinfulness before a holy God. And that they would live holy lives unto him. But friends, the law did not provide salvation to Israel. Romans 3 verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so although Israel had a mediator, Moses... They were desperate in need of a better mediator, of a redeemer. And that mediator, that redeemer, came to Israel like to us in the form of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who according to Ephesians 2, abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. You see, Israel was imprisoned under that law. And they were desperate for redemption, just like they were imprisoned in Egypt and were desperate for redemption from Egypt. Listen to Galatians 3, verse 23 to 26. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. What amazingly good news, not only for Israel, but for you and me, that they and us could become sons of God, not by works of the law, not by obedience to the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, you and I are very, very similar to Israel. Each one of us were born with a sin nature. Each one of us were as rebellious as Israel was towards God, desiring to live for, our, for ourselves, running after idols, worshiping whatever we desire that will make us happy. And we live lives totally separate from God. He is holy, we are sinful, and there is a divide between us. And you and I, like Israel, need a better mediator. We need a redeemer. None of us, no, no person on earth is good enough to please God, to appease his righteous 
wrath against the sin of man. No person is morally positive enough to be saved. Like Israel, we need redemption. And friend, Jesus Christ came as Israel's mediator and redeemer, and he came as your mediator and redeemer. The eternal son of God, perfect in being, living in perfect harmony with the Father and the Spirit. And yet he willingly left the excellencies of heaven to came to this earth to be a better mediator, to be a redeemer for you and for me and for Israel. He lived a faultlessly obedient life as a man. And then he went willingly He went willingly to the cross as your substitute, as Israel's substitute, as my substitute. And he was on that cross, he bore our sin. And he accepted our punishment. And he exhausted the Father's wrath that burned against the sin. And he died the death that was reserved for you and me. And in return, he offers us righteousness. Makes no sense. The gospel just doesn't make no sense. He offers us righteousness. And now every person who believes that Christ did that and who repents of their sins and who turns away from living for themselves, turns towards living for God. You know what will happen when one day that person stands before the judgment throne of God Almighty? He will take one look at that person and say, you are innocent of all sin, based on nothing that you've done but based on the righteousness of Christ. Under the old covenant, the priests had to repeatedly offer the same sacrifice day by day by day. Caleb said in the class, they had to work overtime to sacrifice. But friends, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice of sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because his sacrifice was perfect. His sacrifice was sufficient. His sacrifice was complete for all people of all times. Now by faith, Israel, now by faith, Kingsway, you can become sons and daughters of the Most High God. Friend, if you're not a Christian, if you're sitting here this morning and you know that you're not a Christian, hear me today. There is salvation for you in Jesus Christ. Please talk to a fellow Christian. Come talk to one of the pastors. Love to talk to you. In Christ Jesus, you can become a son and a daughter of God through faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ.
you can become part of his bride. And you know what happened when you become a Christian? Remember that, that Israel was the people holy to the Lord? Hear what, what the Apostle Peter says, what happens to us who become Christian in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you, Christian, you are a chosen race. Sounds like Israel. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christ Jesus died for us. And he did for us what the law could never do. We are counted righteous, not by obedience to the law, but by faith in Christ. Galatians 4 verse 5 says, Christ came to do this, to redeem those who were under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons. Just like Israel in Deuteronomy 14. So let me ask you this question this morning. Christian, you who are part of chosen race, royal priesthood, are we free from obedience to the dietary laws like not eating bats? <laughs> yes, we are free from that law. The Bible is clear, and, and probably the, the clearest place where this is displayed is in Acts 10. Remember Peter's vision when he stood there on the rooftop, and he saw uh, something, something like, like linen coming down, and it was filled with all manner of animals and reptiles and stuff. And he heard a voice that says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. <clears throat> and the voice came to him again a second time. And it said, what God has made clean, do not call common. There's a dual meaning. There's a dual meaning here. In Christ, there are no more clean and unclean foods. But in Christ also, there's no more Jew and Gentile. Now us, the Gentile, can become sons of the Most High God through faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting, church? So does this mean that Christians have no more commandments to obey? Aren't we the lucky ones? No more laws. Is that what we're saying? No. Thank you. That's not what we're saying. The Christian life is a life marked by obedience. If you're a Christian, your life should be a life of total obedience. Why? Out of reverence for what Christ did for us on that cross. When we, when we read his word and we see what he requires of us, we do it gratefully, willingly, because of what Christ did for us. What he did for us that the law could never do, 
we are so grateful for that we say, Lord, we want to obey you. God's chosen people, royal priesthood, are to demonstrate our distinctiveness from the world through faith-filled obedience to God. So let me ask you this today, friend. Does your life... Does your life demonstrate or validate or prove your distinctiveness from the, the world in which you live? Or does your life look eerily similar to those people, the non-Christians you work with, you go to school with, you play with, family maybe? This is a serious question. Maybe you think some of these Christian rules are just stupid. Don't date an unbeliever. Honor your father and your mother. Don't gossip or slander. Maybe it sounds kind of ridiculous. Almost like not eating shrimp. Right? But friends, remember that you and I, hear this this morning, you and I are not our own. We were bought with a price. We were bought with a precious price of, of Christ's life. And therefore, we must live in a way that demonstrates our union with Christ. Like Israel had to be obedient to the dietary restrictions. And if that is absent in our lives, if obedience to God's word is absent, and we see that in our lives because we see what God's word says is not how our lives look, then we have, we have reason for concern. And we need to go to God and we need to, to repent before him and to ask him for mercy to change. I beg you, church, do not pursue friendship with the world. But live in a way that is clearly, that clearly displays your distinctiveness from the world. James 4 and verse 4 says, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Friends, our lives, our lives should clearly reflect that we belong to Christ. Israel did that by following all kinds of rules. We do that by following Christ. Like this quote, quote is from John MacArthur. He says, the narrow way and the broad way both claim to be the way to God. The wide gate is not marked way to hell. It is labeled heaven. The same as the narrow gate. He just does not go there. And so we need to look at our lives and say, does, does my life look like I am on the narrow way? Does my life fit with what is required of me in this word? Or does my life look like I just live for myself and what is enjoyable to myself? Friend, the, 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 how we live has great consequences, eternal consequences. And your and my responsibility is to fight and struggle and contend for godly living by obedience to Christ. But here's the problem. Just like Israel, who were unable to follow all the laws and statutes, 
you and I are unable to live perfectly obedient lives to Christ. But thanks to Christ and grace found in him and thanks to his new commandment. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you have love for one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So similar to the commandments of Israel, right? Except they were to show by what they ate that they belonged to Yahweh. Here Jesus says, by your love, all people will know that you are my disciples. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 39, was when a Pharisee came to Jesus and asked him what the greatest commandment of the law was. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Where does this come from? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And then he went on and he said, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment, church, that you and I have today that we are to obey is not what to eat and what not to eat. I'm grateful for that or what to wear or not to wear, or when to wash and when not to wash. Your and my greatest commandment to obey is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Total devotion to God alone. This is our highest call of obedience, to delight in God. But John Piper rightly said it. He said, we must delight in God. And only God can change our hearts so that we delight in him. And so how do we, how do we obey our greatest command to love God above all? We ask him. We ask God We ask him to change our hearts so that we can love him with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds. And the more God changes our hearts to delight in him, you know what will happen? The more our lives will change. The more you love God, the more you will want to obey his word. This is not different than Israel, though. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 said the same thing to Israel. Their call was also to love God and follow all those commands. Our call is to love God with all our hearts. The more God gives us grace to love him, the more we will demonstrate our distinctiveness from the the world through faith-filled obedience to him. It was the same for Israel as it is for us today. That song that says, turn your eyes to Jesus. 
and look full in his wonderful face. And then what will happen? The things of the world, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Like Israel, friends, we have commandments to obey. The Bible is filled with commandments for us to obey. But, but let us endeavor together to focus hard on, on the greatest command. Let's ask God to change our hearts that we may grow in our love for Christ. Let us trust him to increase our desire to cherish him, to, to, to love him, to rid us of worldliness, and to make him our ever greatest treasure. Oh, may we grow in our love for and our delight in and our awe of God so that we may glorify him in our lives. Friends, Israel, Israel, Israel had nothing on us. They were God's chosen people, but they had to obey the laws. You and I are God's chosen people. And we can go to him in faith. And, and when we do, he will change your heart. And he will allow you to desire him and love him more. Oh, may he do that for us. Let us ask him. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. This morning I am grateful that I do not live in a way that I have to obey a million laws in order to gain righteousness before you. We thank you that you send Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you came and that because of your perfect work on the cross, we by faith have become your sons and your daughters. Thank you for that. Thank you that you did Christ Jesus, thank you that you did for us what the law could never do for us. Thank you that you're our better mediator, that you're our perfect redeemer. We love you. Now we ask as a church together, Lord, will you give us hearts that yearn after you? Will you give us hearts that desire to love you with all our hearts, minds, and souls, and might? Will you give us hearts that follow you, love you, and as a result, may we be a people who demonstrate our distinctiveness from this world through faith-filled obedience to you and to your word. We desire that, Lord, but we know that we are weak. Therefore, we ask you to give us the grace to love you and to obey you from this day on forward. Help us, please. Amen. Amen.